Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Scott DeBow, ARM Principal at Aveta, about psychological safety. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined by Scott DeBow, ARM Principal at Aveta. How's it going, Scott? Great. Jay, how are you? Good. We're here at the uh, EHS Exchange, EHS Daily Advisor Exchange in Kansas City, and um, had some great uh, discussion today. Um, Absolutely. But I wondered that we we're going to talk about uh, psychological safety. But um, wanted to start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with Aveta. Sure. So, yeah. So my name's Scott DeBow. I've I've been in safety about 20 years now, um, and in progressive roles of leadership, um, the past 10 years or so, really focusing on um, the joint employer environment. So uh, work environments where where uh, employers rely on staffing companies on contractors in order to accomplish work and the unique risks and system requirements to be able to accomplish work successfully <clears throat> so that's been kind of my niche and uh, joined Aveta seven months ago so I serve as principal for HSE um, at Aveta and my role at Aveta is, is two-part one to uh, to kind of come alongside and, and help our thinking right the way we think about safety is important because what we think leads to our approach and how we do, how we, our narrative about how we talk about things. And so our company is very focused on best practices, uh, maturity in our processes, um, which inform our product, right, that benefits others. So um, uh, working uh, in areas such as human organizational performance, how does that inform our thinking and product? Um, serious injury and fatality prevention, understanding awareness in our space, how does that inform our thinking, our product, to the benefit of, of those that use our product, our clients, um, the contractors, the supplier community? Um, so I, I like to think of think of it a, uh, this way: is you know what we do is help people manage risk at the speed of risk because mm -hmm. risk fluctuates so quickly, especially in uh, in dynamic work environments where uh, um, we depend on others. To do work and help us be successful but we're often separated by geography right. um, complications and communications or, or differences like that so um, so that's that's what I focus on and um, uh, love what I do excellent so let's talk about psychological safety how would you define it sure so the easiest way I think about it is, is do people feel safe and comfortable enough simply to raise their hand and say that's different than the way I was trained to do that. Or what you're asking me to do, we, we don't have that type of safety resource or that type of equipment to do this safely. And, and uh, am, I, am I in an environment where uh, I, can, I can speak up without fear of like a punitive response? Um, I can speak up without being ostracized. That, that's a psychologically safe work environment. It could be something very, very specific to a safety function Mm -hmm. Or it could be be me just observing you know, something. If I if I said something that was, uh, you know, I, I say a joke or I, I say something that somebody else perceives, hey, that that might have been hurtful to our teammate Jay. There, do they have the the freedom and the comfort to speak up? Hey, Scott, let's chat about this for a second. Man, I know you think you're being funny there, um, but just this is the way it sometimes comes across in mm -hmm. our, our shared culture, our shared workforce. And so do people have that comfort level to speak up, um, which re requires trust and permission, right? Trust, uh, we, we leverage relationship and permission to do that. 
So um, that's the way I think about it. I, I think, you know, there's others that, you know, there's academic definitions. So William Kahn is someone that worked, uh, has worked in the space. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't have the definition in front of me, but, um, but it, it's, it's still connected with, with fear. Speaking uh, Being able to speak yeah. up without fear of like a punitive response. And so, you know, this is important for us to be thinking about because we think about the, the traditional views of work um, from people in my dad's generation, very right. stoic, right? You suck it up, you And you didn't speak up. Yeah, you, you didn't work. speak up, you, you got it done. Um, it was being vulnerable and saying I don't know was associated with weakness right. rather than courage. So, you know, we're in a generation, you know, our current work generation is shared by five different generations, right? And so, um, you know, when we think about, like, why is this something we should be thinking about, talking about? Um, I think it's because it absolutely is something that can help us understand each other and can help us really uncover, you know, when people are more comfortable speaking up, uh, we, it's like a valuable, rich source of intel and culturally enabling things that you know, we find out about things we otherwise would never have known. So how do you create uh, psychological safety you know, in a workplace? Yeah, well, um, I think there's a couple of ways. There's, a, there's an old picture of the crews working on the, the Golden Gate Bridge, um, you know, back in the days, in the mm -hmm. 30s, whenever they were doing it, but you know, just imagine walking along the steel girders and what's right, beneath right. you. Right, frigid, shark-infested waters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but that was a project where, uh, you know, at the time they would just estimate so many millions of, so many fatalities per millions of dollars spent. Right, they were just counting on the fatalities because it just acceptable happened. losses. Acceptable losses, yeah. um, and, and this was a project where there was a there were some elements of prevention through design in it, and so, you know, they they constructed netting. Right, um, you know. Uh, fall protection, mm -hmm. uh, elements of fall protection. And so um, they used hard hats, they used different things. So they invested in creating a safer environment before people showed up and, and their boots hit the girders to walk across and drive rivets and weld and do the things that mm -hmm. they, uh, they're experts and professionals at. But, you know, there were still events that happened, there still fatalities, there were, there were some issues, but, but they finished the project with far fewer fatalities than they expected and ahead of schedule. And so when they started examining, what are, uh, we're ahead of schedule, right? What are the factors associated with this? Well, what happens when we create um, a space where there's fewer competing interests for the worker's mind, right? So in, in a very high risk environment, like mm -hmm. a worker balancing on a, on a girder to drive a rivet, and he's less concerned about, you know, falling falling off of it because he feels safer. There's more focus and attention on the work. And headspace is a really, we talk about this with athletes a lot, industrial athletes, like mm -hmm. what's, what's in their headspace and, and uh, creating positive uh, focus and, and keeping things that, that aren't good or positive out of, uh, out of that work environment and enable a healthy work environment. So, so there's a couple of things. One of them is just how do we design the work environment? Mm -hmm. How do we design it? Um, and that's physical be structural um, you know reading a there's a great book by Tim Scott called the four stages of inc four stages of psychological safety and um, this is what I'm reading right now it's mm -hmm. terrific I'm not done with it yet it's terrific 
and I, I'd encourage everyone to read it because what, what, what are the four stages? Yeah, so <laughs> well, here's where it starts. It okay. starts with inclusion, mm-hmm. and so what have we been hearing a lot about lately? We we've had we've had a tough couple of years, right? With COVID occurred, um, so many people upset and frustrated. You know, summer following COVID, we had George Floyd, we had mm-hmm. we had demonstrations, we had you know, hey, we're really uh, we just really believe we're not being listened to. How are we listening to each other? And and uh, corporations started responding differently and listening differently. And um, you know, we could say diversity, equity, inclusion measures were around before then, but in my opinion, those started changing after that. Where they were being resourced and enabled and led. Um, and I've just, you know, it was described to me as like, look, there's a difference between being invited to the, invited to the dance, right? Um, then being asked to dance, mm-hmm. right? Um, so inclusion is like the first, the first step. People need to, need to feel like they belong. Right. That's led by leaders, that's enabled by leaders, that's our tone, that's our narrative. So creating an inclusive environment uh, where people understand and feel comfortable, you know, again, we, as we described earlier, comfortable speaking up. Um, they have both the relationship factor, uh, the trust, and the permission to understand you, you've been here a day and maybe you, know, you don't have a background, but you see things. We value you as an important uh, person. Here's, uh, here's the scope and, and uh, context of your job according to your skills, and we're here to teach you and help you do those things better, but you absolutely... Um, can start helping us get better as a team today. So the first step being inclusion, mm-hmm. which creates the next step being a we call it learner safety, um, which you know we're, we're now we're starting to contribute ideas within our team. You know, share an idea, challenge an idea. Hey, I know I'm new here, but you know uh, why are we using um, you know all of these uh, you know all of these steps here when I think we could do. You know, we could reduce them by 10, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just ideas for efficiency or improvement, right? Yeah. Um, so learn, we're contributing, we're, we're thoughts. Innovation, this is where when I feel safe, I can contribute to innovation, to improving things, to seeing further ahead. Um, and it's, it's encouraging. How it connects to safety, though, is like, hey, again, when I see learner safety, I have an idea to um, do something faster, but we're, we're considering, well, what sh- might we take a shortcut if we do that? Yeah, <laughs> or right. are we taking a shortcut if we do that? Uh, a, a learner safety uh, idea to me is like if, you know, we were talking earlier today in one of our breakout sessions about um, a supervisor can give, give feedback, give positive feedback to an employee. It's like, hey, you, you did all these tasks so well and you did them so quickly. Great job. Thank you for getting your jobs done so quickly. But we're out of touch with, hey, you got these things done faster, but you, you know, we know it, it takes everybody else 45 minutes to do that. And you did that in 22. I mean, help us understand, yeah. teach us, teach us. And in this environment, you know, the person that's doing things faster, it's, it's a comfortable place to have an honest conversation so that I can say, you know what, you're absolutely right. We've been doing it 47 minutes for, for years. Hey, um, let's start looking at this together. Come on in. Right, or it's you know to do that in 22 minutes. Take I understand you yeah. did take some shortcuts, yeah. right? That are connected to critical safety things, and and um, you know no one got hurt today, but you took shortcuts, and here's why we don't take shortcuts in these areas. Um, and so learner safety goes to contributor safety, 
where we think we're just broadening how we contribute to the organization more broadly and um, and challenger safety. So, so it, you know, each step is is what Tim Scott describes as a uh, you know a progressive maturity model, but every step leverages inclusion and enabling that inclusion, fostering uh, the comfort level to speak up. And so, um, in my experience, so that's that's one of the things that has been seriously missing, mm-hmm. especially in our shared workforce. When we think of okay, we have. We rely on multiple employers to get jobs done, but then there's there's sometimes ambiguity in terms of well, who do I communicate to if I see this or I observe right. shortcuts or I hear things, or maybe it's it's not my employee. I shouldn't speak up. That's not my employer. I don't right. have to say anything. Um, we see this, and especially in the use of maybe day labor or temporary temporary workers, where um, you know they're at. They have psychosocial risks, I think, connected to them simply because of the nature of their job, not because of them as pe- as, as a human, right. as a person, but but they're in a job where they're they're a newer employee more often. They're also balancing being a new employee with being a, a pro- perhaps a short timer, right? right? Depending how long the assignment lasts. So behind my tasks, you know, that space in my head is being competed with against. And I really want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. I might be willing to assume more risk than I should to show you that I'm more valuable, so you keep me on assignment right, longer. Right. And so, so understanding that about me as a temporary worker or a, a you know, a, a, you know, in a contingent capacity, you as my manager, you know, it's really important we understand psychosocial risk to create psychologically safe environments. So we just know these things about each other, and we're we're creating these. Uh, think we're it's a pathway to create a better future for the next generation right when we think of safety yeah, yeah. Um, how does psychological safety work in a hybrid workplace obviously a lot of businesses you know have that mix of remote and in-person workers how do you kind of you know sort of make that a consistent uh, environment you know between the two yeah um, I think I think hybrid or not it's it starts with how the leaders and the leadership team is really, well, truly representative of a diverse group of people, right? Um, uh, leading with vulnerability and, and incorporating, uh, you know, uh, elements of diversity and inclusion into how we lead and manage business, Hi- hybrid or not. But then when we come to a hybrid environment where we have some people that are remote, they're more comfortable at home, some people are at home, they'd like to come in more, uh, we have introverts, we have extroverts, we have these, all these different environments. The things that I've seen be very helpful is, is we still, you know, we still want to find common things that are very important to us. So um, if you think of like an employee resource group, or um, sometimes they're called business resource groups, mm-hmm. or you know, groups that um, it might represent different parts of, of a company to help them just be connected to each other. So. So they're more connected, groups that help people be more connected to each other as people than, than connected to a work system or right. an EHS system. So, so I, think of, I think a couple of things, right? We might have an employee resource group uh, for vets, for veterans, right? Because people coming out of the, the military into the corporate world, mm-hmm. that can be, that's different. Yeah. It could be hard transition. Um, you know, we, we might have employee resource groups that are um, specific to people with disability. 
right? Um, or, or just uniquely gifted, I would say, uh, say such as a topic of neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. So maybe dyslexia, um, perhaps uh, on the spectrum, right? Right. So, but they're um, fostering psychological safety from just. Uh, enabling a dependency on each other is here's how we talk here's how we make sure and everybody's invited to these groups by the way but you know I was invited to a neurodiversity group and I learned about first of all what it was mm -hmm. uh, I learned um, our organization was being taught so those same leaders we talked about in the C-suite and the board truly being a diverse mix of, of thinking and experience and backgrounds that enabled these resource groups to happen, then began to, to, to be taught by these resource groups when they hear, all right, you know what? We have, we have this employee here that's dyslexic. dyslexic. She's, she's felt like she's had to hide that for decades, but she's, she can be free to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you know, we're changing the way we do orientation and program because she's incredibly gifted and sees numbers on a spreadsheet like nobody else sees. Mm -hmm. Wow, do, do we need gifts and skill sets like this? We haven't been thinking like this. We need to change our thinking and we need to listen, listen differently. And so it becomes, uh, when we create just a, a, fostering, a fostering community in a psychologically safe environment, it kinda, it feeds and strengthens and becomes um, just a rich place for us to lean in, for us to learn. Um, First, the challenge, you know, things I'm hearing, I'm still not sure of. I think it's important because I think there's there's some folks that, that struggle with some of these some of these ideas we hear in the corporate world today, and they're they're perhaps afraid to raise their hand and say, I, I just don't know what you mean by that. Yeah. When you say, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, even the safety community, I think especially, right? And they I think they have sincere and good questions to ask, um, but we should be helping everyone feel comfortable speaking up, understand how, how we each have a role to play in creating a psychologically safe environment. Um, so obviously leadership plays a huge role in this. How do you get leaders to buy into the concept of psychological safety and follow through on it? Mm -hmm. So, um, well, I guess I'd start with what has their attention right now in the moment. So have, have, they, <laughs> have they asked what should we be thinking, or is this an idea I'm bringing to them? Mm. Uh, what what has an organization's attention sometimes? You know, is is you know an organization listens following a serious incident or an upsetting event? Uh, all right, the organization is listening. Right, we're we're talking about the topic because something bad happened. Right, we wish didn't happen, but it did. So therefore, we have to talk about it. Or maybe we're talking about it because uh, you know there's a great example of you know how other other companies are doing it, doing this mm -hmm. well, and we should do that too. So I guess what has the attention currently of the leaders? Um, but I think it's important for them to understand that, you know, there's a saying that if you, uh, you know, if you do something like once, or once a quarter, or once a year, or you, you, in, you invest in corporate resources to be available whenever I might need it, it's very transactional. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a transactional program. So when we think about um, you know, employee assistance programs or 800 numbers or hotlines or um, you know, 
those have been the traditional ways in thinking about how do we address psychological safety in the workplace, and that's that's kind of it's been the thinking. Uh, what what leaders should be understanding is look, those things still can be good, um, and should be made even more more available, right? Wellness and and caring for uh, caring for the workforce in that manner, but. Um, instead of viewing as a transactional program, viewing the workforce as a great place uh, for strengthening and even intervening, which means uh, we see the work, uh, the work environment, our teams, our leaders, our supervisors, our managers, as the resource to invest in, to teach them how to have healthy conversations, hmm. to teach them how to have, uh, how to manage conflict, conflict yeah. resolution, one-on-one, leadership skill, we don't teach that a lot or very well and that is a learned skill and so when we think of look when people we're talking about inclusion right and how do we make people feel welcome and if someone has a thing or there's uh, they don't see conflict being handled at the levels above them yeah how do you know what's the takeaway there Mm -hmm. that's where we learn not to speak up or that's when we learn to keep our head down and not come up with a new idea and so so we we must understand that the workforce, our workers themselves, are the worthy place to invest in teaching them uh, capable capability in conflict resolution, leadership skills, principles, how to build uh, healthy relationships and healthy teams, right? And so when we, when we start thinking about it in those terms, we start thinking about, well, where's our employee resource groups? Are we doing that? What are we learning from them? We talked today about questions leaders ask uh, to stay connected with safety. Mm-hmm. And then what are the stories they gather from those experiences that they share and then can come around and say, hey, you know what? Um, this is what we see y'all doing and this is what you shared with us and this is what we learned. And just to be vulnerable for a moment is, uh, you know, we didn't know that before. We weren't thinking like that or yeah. addressing it before. So leaders sh- should be thinking is like the workplace, the workers themselves are, are the worthy investment to, uh, to recognize building psychologically safe work environments, which by the way, is also connected with reducing uh, error, <laughs> right? Yeah, psychologically yeah. safe work environments are connected with, with reduction in human error. Um, and that's, I guess, a big selling point. Yeah. If you're going to your leadership to say, hey, we need to be doing this, and this is you know, a, a major byproduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's great, because, uh, you know, I, at some point, it's like, well, all right, these all sound great. And there's a cost to it, and so how do we, you know, balance right. that? And there's the, there's that whole discussion. So, um, I think it's a great point to also connect. Hey, how is building psychologically safe environments an extension from how we think and lead from our core values? So, um, <clears throat> you know, rather than another great idea that's going to compete for bandwidth and time and more meetings. Um, if we begin to view these things and, and do them in a way where, look, we understand maybe, maybe some of the things we've tried haven't worked well. It doesn't mean we don't do them. It means maybe we change them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, view, view the work environment and the workers as the, uh, as the resource to build a rich, healthy environment rather than just kind of tools. Yeah. Here's the 800 number to call <laughs> if you need it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, where do you feel we are, I guess, as a, you know, you know, looking at workforces sort of as a, you know, nationally uh, with psychological safety? Is it still kind of the concept in its infancy? Are we kind of, 
are you know are most companies doing it now or like where where are yeah. things at like culturally yeah so so as i understand it, it you know it came on the scene in the in the 60s hmm. um and uh, it's like like the work edgar shine was doing at the time and uh, a few others um you know and like, like culture right it was and, and you know psychological safety was like a part of that yeah um and then and then in the 90s it kind of resurged with uh fascinating work by amy edmondson which was which was so super and for so you know just google or youtube or, or whatever amy amy and just listen to her talk mm-hmm. um you know it's where i got my simple definition of psychological <laughs> safety right but you know her, her work was just so instrumental in um you know, realizing that, you know, we, we're so data driven and we can look at, we can look at a team and there's less data, there's less incidents of a data set to look at. And corporately we can assume, well, that they must be doing better right? Uh, versus the team next to them that's reporting all these things. Well, what's actually happening and what Amy Edmondson brought to light is the healthier teams that have a higher degree of psychologically safe, they're they're making your organization more aware of these gaps and these problems and there's and we can address them yeah, and fuller, we can make things better picture. right so it kind yeah. of flipped the script there yeah. and so that was the 90s and then you know uh it wasn't too long ago you know google did some serious work uh some some serious work in the area of of you know what really makes effective teams what's the one thing you know like what's the one thing that makes effective teams psychologically safe teams mm-hmm. That's what builds safe teams. So even more than um, you know, academic background, degrees, years of experience, so that the trust, the permission, the relationships, the those environments, that's what creates uh, healthy teams. I'm not I'm not doing the 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 Google study or the Google you know lesson justice there, but it, it's a fascinating thing to learn about. But to me is yeah so these are good things and some companies are certainly ahead of others well we're talking about safety right yeah you know, psychologically safety we're at, a, we're at a safety conference here and there's two things that that all systems have in common one is resources and and the other is boundaries and so when we think of the resources and the boundaries we have in our work setting the, the resources and the tools to take care of the employees to communicate the train orientation um you know the things we invest in; those are our resources, and then and then the boundaries are. You know, just think of a job description, mm-hmm. a, a standard work. This is the area we work in. This right. is the area we don't work in. Those are all defined. But when a system is under pressure, like those little boxes or balloons, the resources and boundaries, and they leak. Mm-hmm. It's easy to leak, and so that's what COVID was. Right. It put everybody under pressure, every kind of pressure, right? So organizational pressure, financial pressure. I think of the pressure our leaders themselves were under as they were doing their absolute best, from my perspective in the company mm-hmm. I was at, to uh, you know, keep, keep people working right. um, as things were shutting down. At the same time, how do we pay for all, this, uh, all these masks and hand sanitizer that, you know, 
cost of hand sanitizer went up, I think, like 400%. Right. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> steady. And these are unbudgeted things. We need hand sanitizer everywhere and masks for everybody all the time. And you're still paying, you know, rent for your office space. That's right. Or your facilities that nobody's in right now. And, yeah. That's right. So I think of the when our, our systems come under pressure, then we start to see gaps. Mm. And we started to see some gaps as it related to kind of what, what's going on behind the eyes of our friends we work with. Um, and the pressures and, um, it, you know, think of, you know, what, what was it like having a baby on your knee on a Zoom call right. in March of 2019? Some companies, that, you know, I suppose that was cool, far less accepted uh, before COVID than it is right. today. Right. It's like, look, we got, we got some hardworking moms and dads at home that have babies that aren't in school, um, you know, or children that aren't in school. Yeah, yeah. And we started saying, the conversation that becomes around your baby, right? Or your dog, right? Your cat or your kid. So, um, so yeah, it, just to get back to like where, where the systems are, we started seeing those, those opportunities to think differently, um, but we realized our resources to care for people emotionally weren't quite there. And, and the closest solutions that we had were each other. How are we listening for each other? And people started, hey, how are you, how are you really doing? Um, which was a bit of a weird and funky place because corporately you're, you just don't ask there's HR boundaries, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I, I don't want to go into like your personal life and like get it. So we still need to have healthy boundaries. But, but in my experience, the last few years, the pressure we've been under has made it um, very clear that, <clears throat> that the psychologically uh, safe work environment is a place for us to begin learning more about, supporting, resourcing, um, storytelling, right? So these, we, we all want data and it's all right, great. Well, put that in a box and package it and send it over to my desk and we'll, we'll put it in place. We'll, we'll plug, it's, it's not that simple. We're talking right. about human beings yeah. and things don't happen, happen in a, a linear fashion. It's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, you know, we're talking about um, you know, how, we, how we care for other people's family members in our work environment. And that's a very special, I would say even privileged thing to consider. And so from, from my position, I think of understanding and contributing and creating psychologically safe and work environments, helping other people do that, hear stories about why it's, why it's worth investing in, right? So uh, uh, is really important for us to be you know, getting better at I think it's connected to serious injury and fatality prevention. Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, I feel like I've been going on a bit. Well, that's what that's why I have you here. So, um, well, it sounds like we're on the right track, anyways. Um, Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Enjoyed All right. it. All right. That wraps up episode 132 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time.